Africa Climate Podcast. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Africa Climate Podcast, a podcast dedicated to bridging the climate and environmental reporting gaps in Africa. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. Now, mid last month in July, a technical committee of the African Union adopted the African Common Position on Energy Access and Transition, which will be presented at the 27th UN Climate Conference in Egypt this November. So today, I invited Lena Smofo, a Senior Environmental Affairs Officer, to tell us more about this common energy position and the road towards attaining sustainable energy in Africa. Linus, thank you so much for joining us. Would you please introduce yourself to our audience? My name is Linus Mofo. I'm a senior environmental affairs officer in charge of energy, infrastructure and climate change in the African Climate Policy Center of the UN Economic Commission for Africa. Thank you so much, Linus, for joining us today. Thank you. All right. Now, last month on the 15th of July, the Africa Union adopted the African Common Position on Energy Access and Just Transition. Would you please take us through what this comprehensive approach on the Africa's short, medium and long-term energy development pathways is all about? I think the African Union and the member states are saying that there needs to be a pragmatic approach to how Africa deals with its huge energy deficit challenge. Um, The continent hosts close to 80% of the over 700 million people worldwide. That is about 560 million people of the 730 or so million people worldwide without access to electricity are in Africa. Almost a billion people of the 2.4 or so billion people without access to clean cooking are in Africa. So I think the union and the member states are saying that we need a practical approach to resolve this problem, not a dogmatic one, but a pragmatic uh, approach. Uh, Because to close this deficit, given that there are huge um, development gaps on the continent in terms of the goals of Agenda 2063, the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, there are huge gaps to be close in poverty, uh, food security, energy, water, and so on. And so you can't do that with an energy approach that is not really well thought out. So I think it is curious that the African Union and the member states have now come up with a continental approach onto how to um, to address this um, really uh, serious um, challenge that is holding the continent back, which is the energy access, which is a paradox because the continent has got huge amounts of energy, whether it's fossils or renewables, but the gap and the, demand, the gap is so huge. The demand is there, but the supply is not there, and we cannot progress on the SDGs or African Union Agenda 2063 if this uh, huge energy access deficit gap is not addressed. Uh, would you please take us through? Yes, absolutely. And depending on the plans that Africa has, would it like just make people understand the energy demands for the continent? How huge is it? Oh, it's, it's, it is huge. It's, take for example. The average consumption, when you take the whole of Africa, mm-hmm. yeah, electricity consumption on the continent is around 500 kilowatt hours per person per year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That comes to about over 12,000 kilowatt hours per person per year in uh, North America, mm-hmm. uh, over 6,000 kilowatt hours per person per year in Europe, about 4,000 in Asia, and so on. So with this low level of consumption, because you know energy consumption, is directly correlated with uh, uh, development indicators. So with this mm. huge, low level of consumption, Africa cannot move. In fact, if you take away North African countries and South Africa, 
-hmm. The rest of the continent probably has a per capita consumption of just about 200 kilowatt hours per person per year. Mm -hmm. That is terribly small. So you cannot yeah. development type of energy consumption. So mm -hmm. therefore, why the union feels that there has to be a really well thought out, concerted action across the countries to see how they can work together to, to address this in a, in a pragmatic way. Interesting. And when I was listening to the, uh, you know, Africa Union Commission and what the commission was actually saying, the common position will deploy um, the abundant energy resources that includes renewable and non-renewable energy resources to address the demand. Natural gas in green and low carbon hydrogen and nuclear energy, hence, will actually play a very crucial role in expanding this modern energy access in the short medium term and, 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 and even long term, you know, but the most important thing what I noticed is that non-renewable intent to do is actually enhance the uptake of renewables in the long term mm -hmm. to actually make sure that Africa develops in a low carbon and climate resilient trajectory. But th there've been a lot of outcry from CSOs who've actually mentioned how Africa is blessed with an abundance of wind, solar, and other clean uh, renewable energies, and saying that Africa choosing to actually include non-renewables and things like natural gas and nuclear energy on its energy portfolio is actually, uh, Africa should not be doing this at this particular time. Why is it that natural gas and nuclear energy has to make part of the energy portfolio for Africa, instead of Africa saying, okay, we can develop 100% on renewables. No, indeed, Sophie. And I, I, I know we had wonderful uh, CSO in Africa, but sometimes they just need to do their homework. Mm. Um, when you say you can go 100% renewables, you need to, mm. what does it mean to say that you go 100% renewables? Mm -hmm. Remember that um, a lot of the renewable energy potential in Africa is variable renewable, solar and wind, right? Mm. Africa receives about 40% of the solar irradiation uh, that falls on the globe. Africa hasn't got the, the infrastructure capacity for the grid capacity that is needed to absorb mm. a high level of variable renewables. So when they're talking about 100% renewable, they should mm -hmm. be focused on the need to invest in transmission and distribution infrastructure that can take that variability, even at a very advanced grid like in Europe and so on, still have a limit of how much variable renewables. When the sun goes down, the wind stops blowing, you need a base generation that is strong enough that can keep the grid going. Normally, sure. that will come from hydropower, from gas, that are very dispatchable. So it's one thing, of course, everybody wants to go renewable, but we have to be realistic that how do you go renewable when you have not invested in the infrastructure mm -hmm. that is needed to allow you as of high levels of renewable. If we're going high 100% renewable with, uh, with hydro or with geothermal, that would be something else. But if we're going to have wind and solar as part of that high level of penetration of available uh, uh, renewables, then we need a very solid base generation and grid infrastructure to deal with that, which we don't have. So hopefully mm. they can do work before they start making this pronunciation because we'll have a serious energy problem on the continent. We have a serious climate issue on the continent and globally that we really need to make sure that we think carefully uh, what we're proposing, what we're trying to do, and make sure that it's done right and, and remove noise in the system. Absolutely. And the interesting thing I find in terms of this whole push for Africa to go renewable, because it's actually the whole, you know, the song has been sung a, min, a million times that Africa is abundantly blessed with renewables. But then when you look at the investments in terms of renewables within the continent, like you find in the last 20 years, over 2.8 trillion US dollars was invested in renewables globally. But you find that Africa in investments actually only attract about 2% of that resources. 
despite its huge renewable energy potentials and the push for the continent to go renewable. Why is Africa not attracting enough investment to fast track the uptake of these renewables? Yet the song has been Africa should not develop the way the West developed by using fossil fuels, but actually should go renewables. No, absolutely, Sophie. In fact, it's not even 2%, even less than 1.5%. Globally, mm. you have investments of the order of 300 plus billion in clean mm -hmm. energy. And mm -hmm. um, uh, less than 1.5% of about that amount comes to Africa. And that only comes to a few countries. Eh? South Africa, mm -hmm. Morocco, Kenya, uh, Zimbabwe, or Zambia. But it doesn't go very far. Mm -hmm. So about single digits in terms of billions, right? But mm -hmm. the, the need, uh, I mean, we estimate, we at the Economic Commission of Africa estimate that if you really want to uh, address uh, Africa's electricity challenge, you need to double the capacity, the current mm -hmm. capacity of 450 gigawatts um, by 2030, because we, we stand at the moment about 250 gigawatts of total capacity on the continent. Mm -hmm. And if you took away South Africa again, and North African countries, the rest of the continent has probably got about the rest, uh, about the same as those two areas. So we really need to, if we need to meaningfully address this problem, double this capacity by 2030. So you're talking about $500 billion of investment to do that. And then take that about at least five times or fivefold by 2050, mm -hmm. so about $2 trillion of investment. Mm -hmm. So you, this investment uh, scale that is needed, and as you rightly point out, we're talking about single-digit billions coming to Africa to a few countries. So we have a problem that has to be addressed and addressed meaningfully in a pragmatic way without noise. Interesting that you speak about uh, that investment that is actually required because then the question always is, uh, Linus, like when you remember in 2015, African heads of states actually adopted the Africa Renewable Energy Initiative that was actually supposed to be one of Africa-owned, Africa-led, you know. That initiative was to foster sustainable development on the continent by providing mm -hmm. universal access to clean energy. And by 2020, there was supposed to be 10 gigawatts of new capacity of renewable energies. And by 2030, we were speaking about 30 gigawatts, you know. But when you look at many of the projects that are actually ended up being adopted by the Africa Renewable Energy Initiative were, did not meet the actual criteria of the later criteria of the Africa Renewable Energy, which was supposed not to be big projects, but small programs that were interconnected that were renewables. The question always remains in terms of there's a lot of a massive investment that is required financially for these big initiatives that keep being ad adopted. And you remember this Africa Common Position on Energy Access and Just Transition will be adopted at the COP27. How do we make sure that they don't end up being the same pronouncement, big ones, that Africa has a knowledge of what they want to go, but then there's no money? Sophie, you're very right. The ARI was a, a wonderful um, initiative with a lot of ambition to yeah. help address the uh, energy problem. And as you rightly say, the idea was to have 20, uh, 10 gigawatts of new capacity by 2020 mm -hmm. and 300 gigawatts by 2030 which is similar to the numbers that I, I just cited earlier. But that is not happening. We need yeah. to look at different ways of ensuring that investments happen. Two things. One is that our countries have got to ensure that there is the enabling environment, that they remove uh, the policy and regulatory barriers to private sector investment, because these monies have to come from the private sector. We then have mm. scale of that money coming in from the public sector. That's the first thing. The second mm. thing is that we need to also look at how can we mobilize the investment from the continent because there is 
there is capital in Africa, mm-hmm. which is the reason uh, at the Economic Commission for Africa, we have established something called Team Energy Africa. Mm-hmm. And the idea of Team Energy Africa is basically to bring like-minded uh, group of African investors and who can work together to mobilize Africa's private sector and Africa's capital to invest in energy, just the same like they've done in communications, in telecommunications, in, yeah. in uh, mobile banking, uh, and so forth. So we think that Africa can begin to also look at how it uses its own private sector and its capital to address this investment because it cannot be depending on foreign direct investment, which may or may not come. Mm. But as I said, we, we it's not a matter of either, or we need both. And we feel that Africa's private sector through Team Energy Africa can leverage um, this policy and regulatory uh, uh, enabling environment that I just mentioned. And in fact, our colleagues here in the ECA have been working with an entity called REST for Africa, where they've done a detailed analysis of the policy and regulatory environment uh, in a number of African countries to identify where work needs to be done so that the investments can flow. And together with uh, Team Energy Africa being a group of African private sector entrepreneurs, captains of the industry, working with the government, hopefully the changes can happen um, happen mm-hmm. sooner. Then we also need other innovations, uh, like green bonds. Yeah? In Africa, we have very low level of green bonds so far. Again, mm-hmm. at the Commission for Africa, um, through uh, the work of our executive secretary, Dr. Vera Song, where we established something called SDG 7 Initiative for Africa. Mm-hmm. And that has uh, supported uh, already the issuance of um, uh, a green bond in local currency in South Africa between the main sponsor of the program, PIMCO, and South Africa for renewables, 3 billion rand local currency green bond. We feel that this is a very important blueprint that we can use to try to see if we can get other countries to do the same. So we need to really look inwards and then leverage what we have inwards to mobilize what we have out there. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we we'll never have the investment that, uh, that are required to move forward. Africa climate podcast yeah interesting because when you speak about that i'm thinking about the private sector and mobilizing this team um you know like-minded africans to actually invest in energy in africa but then again you'll agree with me that uh, when it comes to private investments it's about return for investments and one of the things that the risk of investment is actually what makes the investments become so high um, as compared, like in terms of when it comes to borrowing, it becomes higher as compared to other countries that are perceived or continents that are perceived as less risky. How do you address that whole risk so that to make sure that these investments do not end up being so high and then these investors can actually have a return for the investment and so they do not shy away from investing within countries? And we're talking about uh, think about countries where they don't attract so much huge um, external investments or within even country African investments because probably they are riskier or they are in wars. Think about mainly c- central part of Africa and also uh, western part of Africa countries, not we go beyond the bigger countries like Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria that are, attracts more of resources of investments. Think about DRC, think about uh, Sierra Leone's countries that are, are more Niger, Mali, some, you know, countries like those ones. No, indeed, Sophie, you, you're absolutely right. I think this issue of risk is a very important one because, first of all, there is a, a, a very high perception of risk in Africa which does not exist, mm. right? Um, mm-hmm. In fact, all these investment services published a report on private, uh, project finance a few years back that showed that uh, project finance in Africa had the lowest default rate compared to other places. Mm-hmm. Very, very low default rate, right? But again, we must still ensure that 
our governments do uh, address the policy and regulatory barriers to investments, whether those investments are coming from within Africa or from outside. And, and um, that is why you know, our um, SDG 7 initiative is based on three pillars. The first one is sustainability. Mm -hmm. That sustainability is not only environmental sustainability as such, but it's also about um, investment sustainability. There has to be a modest return on investment. Mm -hmm. So countries so can look at their nationally determined contributions to climate action, see what clean energy actions could be there, bankable clean energy actions that could be invested in to enhance their climate ambition. So you address sustainability in terms of the investment and in terms of climate and environment. Then the mm -hmm. second pillar like is governance. This is a critical one. Yes, yeah, so sure. Countries have got to address the governance uh, bottlenecks to investment. And once they do that, then the third pillar, which is finance, should happen. So it's just like they say in some scriptures, that's the key us the kingdom and all this shall be. We feel that if you seek, if you sort out the sustainability issue, you sort mm -hmm. out the governance yeah. issue, the finance should come, whether it's coming from within the continent or from outside. So that is critical. And 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 as part of this LTG seven initiative, what we envisage uh, in the long term happening is that you have like a special purpose vehicle uh, where the investors invest in the vehicle, not in projects in countries. That's mm, mm, right. Mm. Point out, if the investor is going to invest in projects in countries, they will pick those projects that are easy, um, easier to do. Mm. And, and so it means that the countries that are furthest behind will never have the investments flow that flows that are needed. So our idea is that the SDG 7 initiative creates this investment platform where the investor invests in it. And then the platform uh, bundles projects across countries and across technologies to reduce the risk. So you're reducing political risk and you're also reducing technology risk. And then that way we can reach the places that normally would not be reached. And at the same time, we also ensure that the investor gets a return on their investment. Yeah. And to think about energy and you also think of, you know, innovations and technologies and what happens, you 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 know, within the continent is that we've a lot of investments in terms of technology. We invest in technologies that is actually developed from the West to um, the Southern part of the continent. But then when we are thinking about this whole energy you know, shift uh, both in the short, medium, and long term. I'm wondering where the the huge number of youth we've actually seen during COVID nineteen a lot of youths at the universities coming up with innovations within their own country. We've also seen the youth coming up with you know young people coming up with uh, wind kind of innovations that within the continent. We also want to think about building our young people, building our own innovations, empowering them, and also making sure that we have technologies that we, say for example, a country in Kenya comes up with its own innovation where it becomes easier or even less costly in terms of servicing that cost instead of getting wind or different renewable innovation from outside the continent, because I do not believe the African continent does not that have that capacity. I just believe that we need to identify that capacity and actually, um, you know, build it up. I'm wondering where the youth, the, the innovative youths, what role they will play, even um, as ECA in terms of the SDG 7, the plans that you have in terms of even the teams that um, like bringing like-minded together, where are you placing the young people? that are very innovative and tech-savvy. No, indeed, Sophie, you're absolutely right. Africa has got a, a very innovative uh, youth population. And as you say, we've seen the demonstration. So the idea, for example, like through Team Energy Africa is that you're promoting local content, mm. local content of investment, but also local content in terms of promotion of innovation, where you can have mm -hmm. this uh, uh, 
uh, innovators, entrepreneurs, come up with new ideas of uh, how they can also uh, join the investment train uh, mm. in this country. So that is an integral part of the Team Energy Africa uh, program because of that local content um, uh, perspective. And, and so we hope that um, uh, through the, the enabling uh, pillars of those who can also encourage governments to begin to invest seriously in research and innovation in universities and so on. But we also feel that I think you, you need to build um, towards a critical mass of people who, people especially, who have capacity in mm -hmm. these areas. And we have something called uh, the Energy Modeling Platform for Africa, for example, mm -hmm. where we partner with universities because uh, this is where entrepreneurship research and so on uh, is born um, to begin to bring young people in government and private sector and elsewhere together to begin to see how they can uh, see the energy needs of the continent going forward, how they can model the investment plans and hopefully through that process they can also start coming up with some innovations where you're absolutely right, it is critical that um, we support capacity. Mm. So we also have training programs with our training institute, um, ITEP in Dakar, where mm. these kind of programs can go on there. But you know, uh, um, in, in this energy agenda and transition, Mm. The, the the critical minerals are extremely uh, central to, to the agenda and mm -hmm. africa is very central to that drc tanzania zambia and all of these countries that have these critical minerals so we're talking about lithium copper and so on mm. so the, the the idea is that we at the economic commission for africa we had um two years back uh, the drc africa uh, business forum where mm -hmm. we're looking at how can africa begin to transform, use its energy resources, abundant clean energy resources, for example, yeah. like the e, to transform critical minerals in Congo uh, to produce the battery precursors that are needed for this uh, clean energy transition. And one element of making sure that that could happen was establishment of a special purpose vehicle for mm -hmm. investment in the production of critical uh, of battery precursors in DRC where it is only mainly for investment by people from DRC and eventually people from Africa. So you can begin to see that if such things work and work well, then it opens up a lot of space yeah. for innovation, for the for young people to begin to take a critical role in how Africa's energy transition and the global energy transition for that matter evolves. Africa is a very huge continent. The continent has huge, um, significant amount of energy resources, but you'll find they are unevenly distributed across region and also ac across countries. And Africa is talking about a mixture of renewable and non-renewable and has a common position in terms of um, development pathway, in terms of the Agenda 2063. But you find also many African countries also have small energy markets that might hinder potential investment. How can uh, the African continental free trade area be used to strengthen the energy sector, both the infrastructure development, investments, access, and also manpower, capacity building? No, that, that is a very, very important point. That is why the African Union Commission, together um, with the support of regional entities like the Economic Commission for Africa, African Development Bank, AUDA, African Union Development Agency, and so on, are mm -hmm. working together to promote uh, something called a single ele electricity market. Mm. And, and that would enable us to be able to have a continentally connected market, power market. Mm. And, and that we need to invest in a lot of interconnectors and transmission systems, which means that um, you can generate uh, at a very cost-effective rate where the resource potential is highest. And then that generation is used where the demand is highest and makes a lot of sense. So the key then is 
Yes, let's invest in, in interconnectors and a transmission system that can link our power pools so that the South Africa power pool, the East Africa power pool, West Africa, and so on, they can all begin to connect together. And then that way we can have a more um, leveraging on the Africa continental free trade, as we already said. We can mm -hmm. have a strong that uh, quickly addresses, uh, hopefully, the energy uh, challenges of the continent. Uh, because it makes sense in the sense that, as you say, the resources are widely distributed. And so if the solar resources are strongest in the northern regions or in the southern regions, then you invest in those areas, knowing that then demand can go somewhere. Geothermal is better in the east, you invest there and so on, rather than going to invest where the resource is not optimal. So it is really critical that um, we use Africa continental free trade with this idea of the civil electricity market to address uh, these challenges and open up new opportunities, new investment and industrialization and trade opportunities. Dennis, thank you so much for your time. Before I let you go, please, um, what's your final word on this whole energy and just transition issues in Africa? So, Sophie, you know, um, Africa is a region that is being impacted the most by climate change, even though it contributes the least. Yeah? Emissions from Africa are less than 4%, but the impact are highest in Africa. We've estimated, uh, we work with African Development Bank, the ECA, UNF, and so on, it can cost African countries uh, on the average 5% of GDP because of climate mm. change. Mm. So it is interest of Africa to ensure that there is global con concerted action towards the clean energy transition. But th that does not mean that, uh, as we said in the beginning, that we just have a, a blanket uh, speak about Africa transitioning to 100% renewable without understanding what is needed. And therefore, when this common position comes out about gas, it makes the sense that um, the, the energy um, roadmap, for example, did some estimates that show that even if we to triple energy consumption in Africa with gas, the resulting emission increases will not be more than 0.6%. So let's have a pragmatic way of addressing Africa's energy transition. Africa is the continent, the region that really wants everybody to go green. And they can go green, but they can go green and transition uh, in a pragmatic way. Uh, that also ensures that there is um, a higher ambition from the more developed countries because there has to be a fair share of responsibility. Um, but it has to be everybody working together to respond to climate change, address um, Africa's energy challenges, and so that um, we keep climate change at bay because we can do whatever with climate change in place. Um, there's a big risk that you will never meet your development. And so we need to have a very strong, globally concerted action towards responding to climate change, but it has to be pragmatic. Right. So what you're saying is that if Africa goes natural gas, the emissions, yes, will increase by 0.6% only for the entire continent. Can you just take us through in terms of how uh, the projection of emission rising and the emission dropping over the long term? What that means, Sophie, is that uh, when they use gas, because they increase the base generation, you can do more renewables. So mm. Africa will renewables if it invests in a stronger grid, in a stronger base generation through uh, gas and hydro than it would with the business as usual. So, and then Africa has got one of the best potentials for uh, green hydrogen because it's got abundant renewable energy resources. Mm. So by doing that, you can have a, a, a well thought out system where you leverage the usage of natural gas to bring more renewables than you would uh, otherwise do. And in that process, begin to invest seriously in taking the lead uh, in the global drive for green hydrogen. And so that by the time you phase out natural gas completely, you are phasing in 
a green hydrogen. And that is a, a, a sensible approach in my view. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Lenis. I really sincerely appreciate you taking time to walk us through uh, the Africa Common Position and also telling us what ECA is actually doing in terms of energy and the plans for the future. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sophie. And that is all we had for you today. Remember, you can subscribe or follow us Africa Climate Podcast on Apple Podcast, Google, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and every other channel you listen to your other podcast. Also, remember, we have a new website, www.africaclimatenews.com. So please do check us out. And while there, do not forget to subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you again soon. Kwaheri for now. My name is Sophie Mbogwa. Africa Climate Podcast.